Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What a great, great little reading there. It's difficult to put into words how much individual people mean to God and how significant individual people are in the history of the universe. The universe is vast, and as Christians, we believe that God created all of it. I was watching a video recently about the Cassini satellite, and that was one that was sent off to go around Saturn. It's um, traveled 946 million miles, and uh, it's been taking photos around Saturn. And um, you know Saturn's rings? Apparently, they're only 10 meters deep. Not very deep at all, but they go around. And if you flew over the plane of them, it would be like flying over a vast desert. But then suddenly you'd come across these huge mountains of ice where uh, there's these bigger chunks of ice in the ring. So it'd be quite an uh, exciting experience. And the, uh, uh, the um, what do you call them? <laughs> the astronomer who was uh, talking about this uh, on the video on YouTube was getting very excited about it. So that was cool. Now, God already knew that, of course, and we get excited about that sort of thing because we're always discovering new things about the universe, whether that's in space or whether it's under the water or just on our own planet. And God knows all of that kind of stuff because he created it all. He created things in distant galaxies that we know nothing about, but I'm sure are very impressive. And yet, in all of God's vast creation, the most significant part of his plan is being acted out here on Earth and involves individuals like you and like me. We sung before that song based on Psalm 8, and uh, the writer of Psalm 8, David, was awestruck by that fact when he wrote the psalm. He said, when I, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? But also, let's not forget that the, uh, the physical universe is not even all there is to creation. A few weeks ago, I did a talk on demons and the spirit world, which you can catch up on in YouTube if you, uh, if you want to. And I said that the spirit world could potentially be as vast and diverse as this physical universe from what we get in the Bible. And certainly it includes things like angels and demons, which the Bible talks about a bit. And even in the spirit world... 
the most significant part of God's plan is being acted out on earth amongst individuals like you and me. Uh, 1 Peter, that's a letter later on in the New Testament. It says, even angels long to look into these things. And what are these things? It is the plan that God has for individuals like you and me. If you want to look it up, the context is talking about the gospel. Angels long to look into it. So that means that angels are in awe of a piece of information, a piece of news that affects you individually, you personally. And in our reading today, we saw a couple of times repeated pretty much the same thing. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thank you. Amen. So God's master plan for the entire universe and the entire spiritual realm has individuals like you and me right at the center of it. We are the most important parts of the jigsaw. That is a staggering truth. And I want to tell you a little bit about this master plan and then show you how this comes out in what we've been reading this evening. So the master plan is that God came to seek and to save the lost. I get that from uh, Jesus' words a few chapters after our reading today. Did you notice at the beginning of our reading, who is um, Jesus receiving? He's, He's welcoming a certain type of person, and the Pharisees, who are the religious elite, aren't very happy about it. So who's he welcoming? Sinners, tax collectors. Um, People didn't like tax collectors at the time because they were collecting taxes for the Romans, who were the occupiers. And um, so it would be a bit like a Ukrainian collecting taxes for the Russians. It would be very unpopular, okay? Um, So Jesus was hanging out with these sorts of people, and the religious elite are pretty upset about it. But a few chapters later, uh, one of these tax collectors called Zacchaeus wanted to meet Jesus and hang out with him. And so he climbed a tree because he was only short. And Jesus caught his attention and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch. And it's in that moment that Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. People like this tax collector. And I'd love if we had time to compare our reading with what happened with Zacchaeus. Because uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was living for himself. Um, Out of the whole crowd... Jesus singled him out. He was a bit like that lost sheep that had gone out. There were 99 people here, but Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree. And uh, God woke Zacchaeus up and turned his life around and gave him a new and living relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what happened with the Zacchaeus episode. And there are loads of things we could compare with our reading today. But what I want to say is that we're all like Zacchaeus. We're all lost. We're all living for ourselves until God comes along and turns us around and finds us. And what I want to notice from our reading this evening is, first of all, how much God loves us, that he comes to seek and to save the lost. And then the lengths he goes to to find us, and then the happiness he experiences when he has found us. Three things about God. So let's take a look at that. Let's look at God's great love for us, first of all, how much God loves us. And I want to say that the stakes, when God goes out seeking the lost, that would be like me or it could be like you. God comes out looking for you. And for God, if I can put it this way, the stakes are high. He's invested in this. If, if he doesn't make it, 
he's going to be hurt and in trouble. Okay, we're talking about God here, so I'm using kind of human language to describe it. But um, We've just read these two stories. Jesus says uh, there's a shepherd who goes out looking for one lost sheep. He says there's a woman who goes out looking for one lost coin, or she's looking for it in the house. But those are only two stories of three that Jesus told in quick succession. And I want to show you how those three develop to show us that the stakes are high. When God is looking for you and when he's looking for me, the stakes are high. The first story starts with a man with a hundred sheep who loses one. So I don't know if I've ever seen a hundred sheep in one place of you. That's quite a lot of sheep, isn't it? Maybe uh, on the fields next, next to Clothville Common. But sheep are wealth. And if you lose one out of 100, you've lost, if my maths is right, and I hope it is on this one, 1% of your wealth. That's not very much, is it? Well, I mean, it could be, but 1%. Not a, not a massive deal. But then the second story is about a woman who loses one out of 10 coins. That's 10% of her wealth. So the stakes are getting higher, you see? And interestingly, Luke often pairs stories of one man and one woman. And it seems that Jesus used to do this to show that even though at his time the religious, uh, the religious elite were exclusively male, Jesus intentionally tells these two stories to say, like, I came for everyone, not just the men. You know, men, women, children. Jesus came for everyone. So we've got one out of 100 sheep. We've got one out of 10 coins. And then does someone want to glance down and tell me what the third story is about? Yes, Ava. Two sons. So one out of 100 sheep, one out of 10 coins, one out of two sons. Who wouldn't, you know, some people wouldn't get out of bed for 1% of their wealth. Most people probably would for 10% if they were about to lose that. But who wouldn't get out of bed for one of their children and go out and look for them if they were lost? So can you see the stakes are high for God? He's not just talking about, you know, some of his possessions. You know, what's, what's 1% of God's wealth? or 10% of God's wealth, the whole universe, nothing. And, and yet God compares us to his children, and he's come out looking for us because he, can, he cares about us that much. And that includes you, each one of you as individuals. God cares about you that much. And then the stakes are high, but God, because of that, God goes to great lengths to find you. So let's see. Oh. Oh dear, I've lost my place. Bear with me. <laughs> God went to great lands. Here we go. So two things. Firstly, he went out himself. Now, uh, even for one in a hundred sheep, the shepherd went out personally. He didn't say like, oh, one of my underlings will deal with that. It's just 1% of my wealth. He didn't send one of his junior employees. Uh, he went himself. Now, how do we see this? Well, look down at verse 7. Jesus is talking at this point, and on whose authority does Jesus say what's happening in heaven? Who, he says, someone tells you that this is happening in heaven. Who is that someone? Himself. Yeah. So <clears throat> this man, Jesus speaking, is someone who has seen heaven and can speak authoritatively about it. That is because... God didn't send one of his junior employees. He came himself. Jesus 
is God incarnate, and he came to seek and save the lost. And secondly, not only did he come himself, <clears throat> excuse me, but he worked hard. In the first parable, going out after sheep, that's long hours of walking in open country. That is physical work requiring stamina. But then in the second parable, the woman has to search carefully and methodically in the house, meticulously, looking in every corner with just the light of a candle. So it's work requiring patience and concentration. And finally, in the last parable, and I'm treading on somebody else's toes for next week, but when um, God goes out looking for his lost son, that is emotional and passionate work, isn't it? Um, the father in the story doesn't actually go very far. He's just waiting for the son to return. But can you imagine that wait? It's, it's sort of burning up his heart. Now, so we've got in these images, God is working hard to bring his lost people back to him. In some ways, we can't talk about God experiencing uh, emotions in the same way that we do, because it's not like he looks down at earth and says like, oh my goodness, I was not expecting that. I'm not happy about that. That's not how emotions work with God. God doesn't sort of fluctuate and change over time as we do. And yet we can say in a very real sense uh, with Ephesians 4.30 that it's possible to grieve God's Holy Spirit, to sadden him. And the Old Testament is rich in emotional language about God. So even though he doesn't change like we do, doesn't fluctuate from day to day, in some way, God is fully invested, shall we say, emotionally in the well-being of his people. Now, God has gone to great lengths to seek you. Do you remember when Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd in John 10? He says, the junior employee would see the wolf coming and would run away because the junior employee doesn't really care about the sheep. But in contrast, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the stakes are high, and God has gone to great lengths to seek and save the lost. That is you, and that's me. And thirdly, when, uh, when God finds his lost sheep, he rejoices, okay? So um, it was this part of these parables that prompted me to start the sermon the way I did, talking about the whole of creation, and yet it's us in this room that God cares about the most. Out of all the spirit world, it's us in this room. Because if I, found, if I lost some money and then found it, like the woman in the story, I probably wouldn't invite all of my friends and neighbors around for a huge party, unless it was a lot of money. Maybe it was. And yet here we have the creator of the entire universe, and the thing he was going to find was some worthless human individual like me. And when he finds me or finds you, he throws a huge party and invites everyone there to celebrate with him that he has found insert your name here. Verse 5 of our reading. This is the shepherd. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And the woman, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God 
over one sinner who repents. Notice how it's repeated. One sinner, one sinner, just one person. If that one person turns to God, the whole of heaven erupts in rejoicing. It's just amazing. It's crazy. So, that's God's plan, to seek and to save the lost. And he gets excited about it. What's our side of the plan? Well, uh, we don't really uh, have much to do in the plan, but it does involve us. So, uh, humanly speaking, I could say that these parables are, are quite close to the truth because um, the sheep and the coin, they're, they're lost, but they don't really know they're lost, okay? So that's a bit the same with us. Day to day, we go about our lives, and I'm sure, you know, most people don't think to themselves, God has lost me, I'm lost, I need God. Um, some people do, but when God finds us, then we realize that we were lost and that he's found us. So in a sense, we are passive in this whole thing. But in the two bits I just read, there's one thing that the, the sinner has to do, and it repeats it to make the point, and that is there's rejoicing in heaven when sinners repent. That's our role in this. Repentance means acknowledging our need for forgiveness, saying sorry to God, turning from our old ways. So um, I want to come back to the tax collector Zacchaeus. He's up the tree, and um, Jesus has just said, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house for lunch. And we see what happens when Zacchaeus repented, because first of all, he accepts the invitation. He welcomes Jesus. That's the first part. And secondly, he knows that he's been greedy and he's claimed more taxes than he's entitled to so that he can lie in his pockets. And he says, I'm going to turn that around and give a big proportion of everything I own to the poor. So his, life, his whole life is turned around. He's gone from greedy to generous. So my question for you, I mean, your situation will be different to Zacchaeus', Zacchaeus is, of course, but have you repented? Are you found or are you still lost? That's the first part of our involvement in this plan. There's a second part as well. There's a warning to those of us who maybe have made that step. We have repented and turned to God. When I was at Oak Hill, um, we had a guy come in and talk to us about prison ministry, um, chaplaincy in prisons. And he said in some of the high security prisons, they divide off people like the paedophiles and the rapists in, into a separate area of the prison. Because if they don't, those people will be beaten up by the other prisoners because they're considered to be the lowest of the low. Now, <laughs> it's easy for us, you know, we're, we're looking from outside the prison and we're saying, how do those guys, some of whom are like murderers, why do they think they've got a leg to stand on and be beating up these paedophiles and rapists when, you know, look what they've done. And... In a way, that's a bit like what the Pharisees were doing here. They were completely blind to their own problems, and they were criticizing other people. Now, it says right at the beginning, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. And we've seen the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law before. Um, not only did they not repent, but they were offended at God's grace. So it's easy for us to point the finger at, at those prisoners and say, like, who do they think they are 
thinking that the paedophiles and rapists were, were worse than them. But, uh, you know, can we point the finger at any of those prisoners and say that they're worse than us? In a sense, they might be. But when it comes to whether or not we've really wanted God or wanted to live life our own way, we've wanted to live life our own way just as much as those people in prison have, except their way of doing it has landed them on the wrong side of the law, and perhaps we've managed to get away with it in various ways. So how would we feel if uh, Jesus, was in, you know, Jesus came to earth today and the first place he visited was that prison and maybe the place where the paedophiles are and the, uh, the rapists? That, maybe that jars on us a little bit. But actually, they need to repent and so do we. We're all in the same boat. And you know, if, if one of those paedophiles who's maybe abused a whole load of children repents and turns away from what they've been doing, then this applies. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Isn't that kind of offensive in a way? That God is so gracious? But isn't it so good for us? There's a a kind of irony there. The Pharisees thought they were the bee's knees in terms of impressing God. And effectively, Jesus says to them, Pharisees, there is no rejoicing in heaven over you because you think you're good enough for God. And the people God rejoices over are the people who know they're not good enough for God. So don't exclude yourself from this great blessing of having heaven rejoicing over you just by thinking you're too good enough, you're, you're, you're too good. There's also a warning here to leaders, there's a warning here to me, to other church leaders in the room. Uh, the Pharisees... Um, should have been the ones out looking for the lost. In the Old Testament, the leaders in Israel were often compared with shepherds who would go out and look for the lost sheep. And uh, the Pharisees weren't looking for the lost sheep. They were actually offended when the lost sheep were being found. So there's a challenge there for me in in there as well to, to go out and look for the lost sheep. Let me finish. And let me, once again, as I finish, address those of you who have repented and have been found. And that is this thought. If you're found, you're also safe. Because in all the universe, I don't know if there's life on other planets, maybe. I doubt it, but maybe there is. Even if there is, in all the universe, only humans are described as being made in God's image. That's what separates humanity from the rest of creation. So we might find intelligent life out there that's more intelligent than us, but they are not made in God's image. We know there's intelligent life out there that's more intelligent than us, because if you're a Christian, you believe in angels, they are more intelligent than us, but they are not created in God's image, but we are. Only humans saved by grace are destined to become children of God. And so one day, metaphorically, You will walk in the palaces of heaven and angels will be your servants because you will be a child of the king and the palace will be your home. You will be and you are the heir of all creation as a child of God because God created it and he has made us heirs. So how could God lose you again when he saved you for that? When the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he doesn't drive it home. He doesn't beat it for escaping. What does he say? What does it say? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. So if you've repented, God has carried you home. 
And if God has carried you home, you're safe forever. Let me pray. Lord God, I've been really excited looking at these passages about your great love for us, and I hope that some of that has rubbed off on everyone here tonight. Father, thank you that you loved us so much. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came looking for us yourself, even going through great lengths of suffering for our sake. Please may none of us miss out on that. May we all repent of our sins, turn our lives around by your grace, and experience what it means to be loved by you and to be a child of God. Amen.